How do you feel when you're in the presence of a grown man that you respect and he starts to cry? You feel a degree of awkwardness, don't you? A little bit unsettled? Because you see someone who, and I'm speaking about a person who would be strong in character and poised, capable, confident, spiritual, and they begin to cry. Do you think of weakness? Not necessarily. I think I've probably been more aware of that the last 10 months than any other time in my life. The last 10 months, my mother passed away, a nephew who I was very close to passed away, and then Diane's dad passed away, who I was as close to as I am with my own father. And during that time, I've seen a lot of men cry and weep, and sorrow, and sadness, and joy, and gladness. And I think over the the last number of months of those emotions that will come out, and finding myself feeling a little bit uncomfortable too, because I'm not a person who cries very much, but all of a sudden just break out. and, And I know when people will remind me, and I'll remind myself, well, they're with the Lord, they're in heaven. I know all that. And I'm not trying to make light of that or dismiss that, but the very real sense of loss. You know, when you lose your job, or you lose your house, or, you know, we've all been through losses in life. All of us have that have kind of unsettled us and troubled us. But, but when you lose a person, someone you, you interact with daily, you love very much, there, there's nothing like death because it is the, it is the final enemy. It, there, there's such finality. It's not, they're not going to come back in this life. We know that. Life is not going to be the same moving forward. And I think of Diane's mom now. I think of my dad. I think of my nephew's parents, Diane's sister. Nothing about life is the same. You know, we've been talking to Diane's mom on the phone, keeping in touch with her, and everything in life has changed. I talk to my dad probably every other day still, and my mom's been gone not quite a year now, and he says, you know, sometimes I'll, I'm just doing fine, and I'll see it, I'll just, I'll just break down, I'll just have moments, I'll see something, I'll remember something, I'll break down. And it is natural for us to, in all of this, to, to look for hope. And we're fortunate we don't have to create something to hope in, but God gives us hope. And there is nothing that has, gives greater hope to us than the resurrection. And so the last two weeks, and probably for the next couple of weeks, I've been just fascinated with John chapter 11. And I, I was drawn to it because of personal experience, which is a great way to go to Scripture. I think when you're, 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 things are going on inside of your life, you're looking for God to give you encouragement. And so I find myself going to, to this story of Lazarus. And if you brought your Bible this morning, uh, I told you I'd be really one verse is the, the key. Jesus wept, so you don't really need to read that with me. <laughs> But uh, I'm going to be looking at the second part. Last week, we, we looked a little bit about the, the beginning of this account of the story of Lazarus. And we talked about how uh, Jesus was some 
distance from them uh, east of the Jordan, and he was with his disciples. They had left uh, Judea because he was uh, being persecuted by the religious leaders. And a messenger comes. And the messenger comes to Jesus and says, Lazarus, the, the one you love, uh, this, is, this is the one you love, is really sick. And so this is the first part of the story. And, and we're puzzled a little bit because he delays. It says that now he loved Lazarus, so he delayed. He took two more days. In the meantime, Lazarus dies. In fact, probably by the time the messenger got to Jesus, Lazarus was dead. So Jesus delays two days and then takes the journey to Bethany, and Lazarus is dead. And then he makes this statement, and I, and I am glad that I was not there. Now that's almost like throwing salt in a wound. Now you're already grieving, hurting, you're questioning, why would God delay? Why would God wait? I think for me personally, that's my number one question when I get to heaven. Lord, why'd you take so long on everything? <laughs> you know, I'm such a patient person anyway. <laughs> but it seems like my, my greatest frustrations with God are he does not act when I want him to act. He does not respond quickly when I want him to respond quickly. This is probably some of the frustration that they were experiencing. Now, we go through this in the first 16 verses of John 11. So the next part that I'd like to look at this morning, verse, uh, verse 17 through 37, we find, uh, I'd like to just make four observations. The central verse, of course, Jesus wept. And I'll read some of the surrounding passages. But how this story unfolds. This morning we're going to look at when Jesus comes late to Bethany. And the observations are what he saw, what he heard, what he said, and then what he did. First observation when Jesus came is what he saw. And it's interesting as he, he comes into this town. In John 11 verse 17 it says when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. The small town of Bethany, he had passed many times. And we, we talked a little bit about that, that Bethany was just like this little um, place on the side of the road, and people would stop. And so as most people traveled by walking, it was a place that Jesus frequented, and, and he knew the people in the small town. It was, it was very close to Jerusalem. It was just on the east side of the Mount of Olives, and he knew uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it says that he loved them. He had a close relationship with them. Jesus had a number of close relationships uh, with, with a number of people, but these were very dear friends, and we read about them on several other gospel accounts. But it was interesting that not only was this a, a town alongside of the road, and you'd have travelers coming by, this was Passover time. In fact, these events are, are very close to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're coming right up on this, and, and this whole story of Lazarus being raised from the dead is a precursor to the greater, 
the greatest miracle of all time, and that is when Jesus was raised from the dead and offered to us eternal life. And so the Passover is beginning, which meant everyone is coming to Jerusalem. So this road is full of travelers. People are coming through. They're, they're stopping along the side of the road. Uh, they're spending a little time in the village on their way to Jerusalem. It's become a very crowded place. And also, people will know that there is, has been a death because it, it's not easy to hide. People would have known uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus because as they'd stop, they'd get introduced and... They were aware of this. So a very busy, crowded place, and someone has just died. Now, it's different in Eastern culture when someone would die. You'd bury them before the sun went down. Uh, They would not preserve the body. They would not wait a week for all the family to get their things together. Uh, The way that they they would do this, immediately word would go out. Everyone would come. They would not eat until the body was buried or placed in a tomb. Typically, they would uh, put the body in a cave, much like the tomb that you'd see that Jesus was buried in. So Lazarus was placed in a cave, probably a large stone to uh, put in front of that cave. But this happened so quickly. So he dies. Jesus didn't come. He didn't make him well. They're still processing that. He's dead We've got to bury him. There is such finality. We wrap up the body. We put in the cave. We roll away the we roll the stone in front of it. And the tradition was that all of your family and friends stay at your house for the next seven days. I don't know how you'd handle that, but that's what they did. For seven days, they would mourn. For 30, there were 30 days of mourning, but seven days where all family and friends would stay in the same place and they would mourn. And mourning is very different in an Eastern culture than what we know it to be. There is weeping, wailing, sharing stories about the person, consoling one another. Now, we do some of the consoling and sharing stories, and a lot of times we'll have some, a video presentation of the person's life. But the thing that we're not used to in our Western culture is the, the wailing, the weeping. Have you ever cried where it was just kind of uncontrollable blurting out? Uh, sometimes we do that, but most of the time we contain ourselves and keep ourselves a little bit respectful and reserved. That's just the way we are. We kind of hold it in. And uh, maybe have a few tears, but, but here they would actually hire professional whalers. I know that sounds like really <laughs> uh, insincere, but what they would do is they would help the people pour out and express their grief. So here you have this little town with a big crowd, a lot of people. Everyone knows that Lazarus has died, and he's been dead now four days, halfway through the seven-way uh, day period of time and it is there is loud wailing and crying and weeping it is all they're talking about a lot of emotion and jesus walks in okay he comes from across the jordan now and he comes into their world now i want you to stop and think about this now when 
when you may control your grief a little better than this, you think. But when your life has fallen apart and when there is chaos and crowd and busyness and death and hurt and pain and sorrow and finality, Jesus walks in. He's there. And he's going to make a difference. He walks into all of this, and he understands everything that is going on. So that is what he saw. Then this is what he heard. We have a number of comments that are made, uh, one from Martha, one from Mary, and then one from the general uh, population. Martha, in, in verse 20 so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. So she, she left the house, went out. When he's still on the way, Mary remained seated in the house. Now you find that when you read about Mary and Martha, Martha was the busy one always doing things. Mary was the contemplative one who would worship the Lord. But both were spiritual women. They were both uh, ones that Jesus loved, his very dear friends. But here's what she said to Jesus. She said, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's a pretty loaded statement. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now it's interesting because what you see here is a little bit of faith. I have a little bit of faith that if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And I have a little bit of faith that even now I know that whatever you ask of God, He would give it to you. Later on, when He makes a statement, in fact, He he responded to her with this statement, your brother will rise again. That's a pretty powerful statement. Your brother will rise again. And her response was, I know that He'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So, Jesus was talking, right here, right now, your brother's going to rise again. But her faith couldn't wrap its mind around this. She said, well, I know there's going to be a final resurrection. The Jews all believe this, of the, the Pharisees, the teaching. There would be a final resurrection. Everyone is resurrected and stands before God. Uh, some will be resurrected to eternal life and some will be resurrected to eternal destruction. That's all through the Old Testament Scriptures, the final resurrection. So, Lord, yes, I believe. I believe that you could have healed him, and I believe in the final resurrection. In verse 11, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 27, she said to him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So then she said, I believe that you're the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that is promised, the one who delivers us. I believe that. And when she had said this in verse 28, she went and called her sister Mary, who Mary was back at home meditating on these things. The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, uh, they were consoling her. They saw Mary rise quickly, assuming that she would be going to the tomb. 
But when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, and here's what she said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, you can say Mary is more spiritual than Martha. They're both saying the same thing. If only, if only you had been here, you could have healed Lazarus. But you weren't here. And then at the very end of our section, verse 37, this is the crowd responding. So we heard from Martha, we heard from Mary. Here's what the crowd said. Some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So in John chapter 9, we read about the healing of the blind man, that Jesus healed a blind man. So these are alive people who are sick or infirmed, blind, lame. Jesus heals them. So they believe all of this. They believe he's the Christ, the Son of God. They believe that he can do whatever the Father asks. They believe that if he had been here, they would have healed him. What don't they believe? What don't they believe? What don't they even see? Jesus said, (laughs) and this is amazing because I come to what Jesus said. It's our third point, third observation. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. They immediately put that into the context of their framework of belief. They don't believe that he's going to rise today, now, immediately. They really don't believe he's capable of doing this. He's been dead four days. So Jesus makes a statement, your brother will rise again. And in in verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's a pretty loaded statement. But if you have a pen, you're marking your Bible, I'd underline those two words, I am. I am. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, I am life. I am life. I am the resurrection, bringing death to life. And when you look at those two words, I am, it's in the Greek, it's ego in me. And there's a significance because he uses that ego in me seven times in the Gospel of John. This is the fifth usage of it. He says in John 6, I am the bread of life. In John 8, I am the light of the world. In John 10, I am the door. In John 10, I am the good shepherd. In John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, I am the vine. And here he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Where did he get this I am? And I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) What he's saying is he's referring back to something. The place that we find the I am, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament and Moses, Moses is out in the wilderness for 40 years, and he is uh, herding sheep, and he has an occasion to meet with God out in the desert. And he's walking along, and he comes upon a bush, and the bush 
is on fire. And yet, he stands there watching this bush burn and burn and burn, and it's not consumed. It's not consumed. And God says to Moses, take off your sandals, for you're on holy ground. And so, Moses is coming face to face with God. And the way God is revealing himself, we, we, we call this, there are four letters that would be the Yahweh, the, the Jehovah. This is my name. This is who I am. And it's at this burning bush that God says to Moses, I hear the crying of my people in Egypt. They're in bondage. They're in slavery. And I'm going to send you to deliver them. And so Moses is overwhelmed with this. I mean, he, he has been out for 40 years in the desert, and now God is speaking to him. And so he asks God, who shall I say has sent me? If I come to them, he says in, in Exodus 3 and verse 14, it says, if I, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to, Mo, to Moses, I am. I am who I am. And literally that means I am who I've always been. I am what I will always be. I am that I am. So that, we call that, those four letters, that, that tetragrammaton. I know that may be technical for you, but to me it's a beautiful thing because it, it is God is giving his name, Yahweh. This is my personal name. You call me the I Am. I am the I Am, the personal God, the self-existing, the one in the fire that is never consumed, the eternal God. He has need of nothing. And so when Jesus is giving these seven different statements in John, he is saying, I am. I am. In other words, I am God. I am Jehovah manifested. I am Yahweh coming to you. And this is a claim to his deity. We've talked about this. So when, you, when you look at the Gospel of John, there are really two primary themes. One is that you realize that Jesus is the Christ. He is God come in the flesh. Jesus is God. And the second theme is believe. Believe. Will you believe this? Now, if you really believe he's God, are you going to doubt that he could raise someone from the dead? No. Your faith is not going to be limited like theirs was. They were, they were believing all around it, but yet for what seemed to be the impossible, he had been dead four days. It's an amazing statement. In John 20, verse 31, the very end of the Gospel of John, he says, but these things are written. In other words, all of the Gospel of John has been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So that is what he saw, he heard, and he said. And we come finally to my last observation in this passage is what he did. And if I could sum up what he did, is this. Jesus wept. After all this happened, he came and he observed. This is what he saw. 
This is what he heard them say, Lord, if you'd only been here, which was really a, a degree of frustration. Where have you been? They didn't say it that way. If you would have been here. Of what he said, that I am, I am the I am. And then Jesus wept. But let me put it in context from verse 33 to 37. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary, and the Jews had come with her also weeping. Now the word for this weeping is uncontrollable, blurting out, sobbing, wailing. I mean, this is, this is the environment he's walking into. Crowded, busy, wailing, sobbing uncontrollably. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And it says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. You think about this, that the writer of Hebrews says this, that there is no one that understands your pain like him. Because he has experienced it. He is not, it says that we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity or weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. You see, Jesus Christ knows your trouble better than you do, and he feels your pain. We don't have a stoic God who comes in and says, hey, get a grip, people. It's like me. What I, would, I, I would tend to say this to, to people sometime. They come in and they've got a problem. I say, what, is God dead? That's really comforting, by the way. He could have. What's wrong with you people? Where's your faith? Don't you believe? I said I'm the I am. You're horrible. God's not dead. And rebuke them. But, but you find a Savior who loves you. It says he loved Lazarus. He's compassionate. He has tender mercy. He cares deeply to the point where he is, he is moved. He is grieved. And he weeps. He weeps. That's the kind of God that loves you. And that is the kind of God that has stepped on the scene of your life, of your pain, of your difficulty. Now, we're taking here the worst problem ever, death, okay? So whatever problem you've got today, it doesn't compare to this, okay? That's how he comes. So I ask the question, which I think, we probably all ask when we read this, why do you weep? Why do you cry? Well, was he weeping for Lazarus? Probably not. I don't think I've wept for my mother. I've not wept for my nephew. I've not wept for my father-in-law. I've wept for myself. <laughs> I've wept for my mother-in-law. I've wept for my dad. I've wept for my sister-in-law. I've wept, you know, on people like that, but I think he was moved with compassion and he wept. But I think it's more than that. I think he did weep for Mary. I think he did weep for Martha. I think he felt their pain of all of those people. But it's more than that. I believe this, that he wept 
for the tragedy of sin and death. He looked at the world and he saw all of the pain and the heartache and the difficulty and the sorrow and the anxiety and the sleepless nights. He saw all of the negativity, all of the the things that were a result of a fallen world. And it grieved the heart of Jesus. This was not what he intended. This is not what he created. When, When God created the heavens and the earth, and Jesus was involved in that, as the Trinity, he created it perfect, without pain, without sorrow, without sickness, without difficulty. Think of this. And then that perfect world and perfect environment has been destroyed by sin. And this is what grieved him. He saw the effects of sin in all of its pain upon the world and the ultimate effect of death. And he wept. These he loved. His heart is broken over what he sees. And I think that part of the result of the sin... And what grieved his heart was their unbelief. I I honestly believe he wept for Mary and Martha. He wept for the effects of sin. But he wept because you still don't believe. You still don't believe. Or you could believe I could have made him well if he had been sick. You have a limitation, but it's kind of like a cap on it, right? Right? He is here now to step in and he will conquer what man has never been able to conquer. The power of sin and the power of death. Through the power of resurrection. This man's been dead four days. You know, in four days, a lot of things happen. Dr. Cantrell could probably explain this better than I can about what happens in four days when the body deteriorates. The two times Jesus raised people from the dead before, they had died that very day. So someone might say, well, they were maybe just sleeping, or maybe they really weren't dead. But here are four days. The body's decomposing. The body smells. This is impossible to raise him up. But we're going to find now that Jesus steps in and will raise Lazarus I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to do that this morning. You'll have to be left another week before we get to that. But it will be a preview of what he does himself and for all of us. This is why these things have been written. He says, this is why, John says, I've written this to you, that you believe that I am the Christ that you believe in you might have life in his name. These words have been written to you, and I wonder in your life right now, whatever your problems are and what they accumulate to be, are not as bad as death. But I think there's still some things we don't believe about God. And when we don't believe, we're captivated by fear and anxiety and distress and sorrow and weeping and wailing. But he steps in. And 
He raises the dead. So my takeaway this morning is this question for you. In your personal life, what is it about Jesus that you still don't believe? Now, I'm saying I know you because I know myself. There are things that are easy for me to believe. I can believe that. I can believe that. I can believe that. He could do that. He could do that. He's never going to do that. Are you that way? There are things in my life that I don't have enough faith to believe. And this is what is grieving him. Yes, you have faith. You believed in me. You believe I'm the Messiah. You believe I can heal the blind man. You believe I could have healed Lazarus. But you really don't believe that I can raise him up from the dead right here, right today, right now. They didn't. No one believed that there. And I think this, that in our struggles, we allow ourselves to become discouraged. And it's not because he can't. It's because we don't believe. God is God. He is the power of life. He is the author of life. He can raise the dead. He certainly can handle your problem. So believe. And when he delays... Remember the story about all their complaints. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Why did, you know, and here's what he says. I'm glad that I was not there. In other words, I'm glad I delayed so that you believe at this level. So it may be right now in your life that God is delaying for you in answer to prayer because there's something else he wants you to believe. Father, we thank you for this incredible story that hits home with us in such a powerful way. Our faith is weak, it's limited, but you are great and powerful and almighty, and Lord, you love us more than we can comprehend. We read about these tears that you have for us, this compassion, this weeping for us. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith And help us to believe that nothing is impossible for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.